Good afternoon, everyone, or evening, wherever you are in the world, wherever you may be, if you're listening to this as it comes out. Hello, and happy Wednesday. It's minute 38 of the, well, I would say probably one of the greatest minute shows we've ever had, where we, uh, the Movies by Minutes team, that's uh, me, Jim, and a host of other hosts. F*** this, I'm going to start again. <laughs> okay. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts explain the 19th, well, examine rather. Although that being said, if you've listened this far, I've needed lots of explaining too. But we examine the 1946 William Wyler directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. So, over to my eminent co-host, uh, Jim, on this lovely Wednesday, and it's minute 38, Jim. Take us home, baby. How are well, you? Ha- good, good. Happy hump day. It's uh, <laughs> We're half- halfway through the week, and uh, looking at, uh, gosh, we're, we're in a great minute. We're, uh, we have uh, Butch is sitting all the all of our favorite characters down in, uh, in Butch's place in the bar. He found a good booth. Fortunately, it was very close to the cameras, so that <laughs> great, great place to park them. It's like and, a Mel uh, Brooks joke, isn't it, when he walks past an orchestra or yeah. stuff like that? <laughs> or the camera pans in, is it high anxiety? When yeah, it goes yeah. up to the, the yeah. screen doors, it goes Psh, through the glass. <laughs> my, my favorite my favorite bit through that is when the music is getting very threatening and it, it, you, you suddenly notice they're driving by a bus that has the orchestra playing. <laughs> Uh, and we do Good get some uh, we do get some uh, diegetic uh, uh, music in this particular minute because we get uh, we get Butch going back to the piano playing uh, random chords while uh, while Homer walks up next to the piano. But that'll that'll be for uh, for tomorrow's episode when we get to the piano part. But uh, here it's mostly uh, drinking and and passing the passing the time with you know catching up with all these nice folks. Um, so I was going to say, Jim, before we started, uh, listeners, let's peel the curtain back here. I prepped my, uh, obviously, my intro, and I thought, I even used these words, I idiot-proofed uh, my intro by saying, uh, you know, what minute it was, that, that, you know, happy Wednesday, because sometimes I mess these things up, because I'm a stupid Englishman, even though I sound clever. Uh, <laughs> that's what, the actual thing I, I, I wrote onto my notes to not mess things up actually messed up the flow of my intro, so... There we go, Jim. Oh, after no, no after laughing about making it idiot proof, yeah, no, I they, didn't. <laughs> they all they all they all caught up. Great, uh, great. Lots of props in this. Lots of nineteen forty six stuff going on in this minute. Um, most famously, the uh, the giant Wurlitzer jukebox, which was a, a standard bearer of most uh, saloons and restaurants and uh, and and noir detective shows of, of this period. Um, but what a beautiful piece of, uh, of machinery! That's that not, is. It's not what I recognize when I think of jukebox. I think of either those, I guess the flat one, the flat glass fronted one, like the one at the start of Happy Days, yeah. or the beautiful kind of curved, almost rounded top ones with a flat front. Yeah, this, two kinds. Yeah, yeah. This this is definitely the uh, the big uh, Wurlitzer. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of. of they course, made yeah. organs, right? In like, yes, for they, movie theaters and churches and things. Is that correct? They did. They did make or, uh, organs like that, and and from that they also built. This is a music maker, so it's uh, uh this was the uh, OMT known as the bubbler. There there were uh, bubbles that would run up the side mm. of of the jukebox, very ornately, uh, similar to uh, there's oh, Chris, Christmas those. lights similar to that, and yes, um, so it was actual liquid in these tubes. 
Right. Yeah. And it Water was uh, or oil. I think it. I believe it was alcohol. It was low, a, a low uh, boiling point, so the, the water would boil at the bottom ah. and condense as it got to the top. So you had this con- kind of like a lava lamp, only instead of solid, it was gas. There was right. you know, things floating on. So picture this as an early lava lamp on either side. Gorgeous. Very. Really something to stare at while you're drinking heavily. And, uh, <laughs> it would, well, uh, the poor long-suffering ladies again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, so there while they're while they're knocking them back. Uh, one thing that does show up in the very edge of the screen as we go through the minute, uh, I, I, even though they've they've turned the brand name uh, away from the camera, it's the unmistakable. If you go to um, second uh, forty-five, uh, the unmistakable uh, script S of the Schlitz uh, yes. uh, beer bottle, the beer that made Milwaukee famous. Uh, and uh, it's it's parked. It, that was their uh, that was their tagline. The uh, the Schlitz uh, bottle, beautiful brown brown bottle there. As uh, uh, Homer's reaching for his uh, Pilsner glass. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, can we go back to when? When was the advent? You might know this. I didn't uh, make a note because I'm a moron. The advent of the jukebox. When did we actually begin that kind of thing? And I mean, how, it was obviously operated it, on electric, but would they be stuffing like, I guess, vinyl records in there? Or uh, that, that, those would actually be uh, rather large, uh, uh, seventy-eight RPM records. The stiff, uh, old uh, asphalt. <laughs> They're basically unbreakable. Right. Um, but uh, they've the jukebox itself has been around since the days of cylinders. Um, I believe that the the first jukebox came out around 1905. Oh wow! So that um, far early. That it's uh, I'm sorry. Even <laughs> even sense. in the yeah even in the 189. I mean, what you could say it, it depends on what you're calling a jukebox because it, 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 automation and paying money for music has been back since the 1800. You know, the, the mid 1800s, late 1800s. Um, things like uh, versions of player pianos, calliopes. Uh, all those automated music makers yes. uh, had been around since the 1870s. Are they, they gas they, powered or air powered though? Uh, air powered or electric. They they were usually uh, electric. They had a bellows operation. Uh, you know, like using the the paper rolls, or they'd have metal discs or metal cylinders. That's it. Yeah. And uh, they uh, the the classic the uh, the classic put a nickel in to get you know to play a, a phonograph came out in uh, let's see 1890 1890 Lewis William S. Arnold invented the nickel in the slot phonograph in San Francisco. This Damn. was a, this was an Edison Class M electric phonograph retrofitted with a device patented under the name Coin Actuated Attachment for Phonograph. <laughs> the music was heard you had to have you had to actually pick up a listening tube, basically stick a pipe in your ear and listen to it because it didn't have uh, the audion hadn't been invented so there was no way to amplify the the sound. Right. Um so the gramophone would that predate all this stuff but that was was that a winding kind of thing when you... uh yeah it was i mean i i don't know if this was powered or not i don't have a i don't have mm. a reference on whether it was i mean they're basically acoustic headphones was, was what they used on all these things so yes. you could have you could listen to these machines they actually set up like the way that nickelodeons were where you could watch movies in a group you know you you go into a parlor where they actually had phonograph parlors set up in new york Los Angeles. I'm assuming London as well. I'm assuming the uh, New York ones revolved around some form of weird pornography at the time. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, ladies showing their uh, ankles and things. I'm, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it was considered kind of risque fun. to go, you know, here, put this strange thing in your ears and and, <laughs> and listen here for strange sounds. Um, but the uh, the interactive jukebox where you could actually pick out which record you want wouldn't yeah. come along until. 1918, when Hobart C. Niblack patented an apparatus that automatically changed now records. That's a name. Yeah, Niblack. 
You don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't find that in. Um, they must have like the a Galaxy Quest character. And Hobart, that doesn't come. Well, Hoagie Carmichael, though, you know, he was uh, Ho Ho Hoagland, right? So, uh, yeah, Hobart. Well, what was it? I think his mother ran away to the circus, or he lived in the circus with his mother while she was pregnant, and it was the Hoagland Circus, I believe. Yes, that's where that's, the that's, name that's, yeah. came from. <laughs> he could have easily been named Barnum and Bailey uh, exactly. Carmichael. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, Ho- uh, Hobart Niblack, gosh, I don't, now do they have this? It, when when I was a kid, and I think to still, if you went to a toy store, they'd have a uh, they'd have a display of license plates and you could find you know your license plate would be jane or john or joey and or you know, bought it, for the famous simpsons episode when they go to uh yeah <laughs> bort. we yeah. run out of bought license plates what kind of name is bought Where's <laughs> yeah so it's it's like you know and if you name your kid with some weird spelling back when i was a kid it was like oh you'll never get a license plate for your bike yeah um but i, I guess i i do they have they when did they start vanity plates in the uk or do they do have vanity plates i'm sure Vanity plates in the sense if you've got your own car and you pay thousands of pounds or dollars to get your own kind of license plate for your car, which I've never quite understood, but people do do that. Yes, absolutely. If you're referring to the things, the the actual vanity plates you get in a toy store, yes, I had one as a kid and it was uh, a metal press plate, like the classic American uh, Ah. number or license plate. Yes. So yeah, the three by five, not the four by one. Yeah. Not the, Mm. not the British style. Oh, well. But you can't yes. wait. I was going to say, if you go to certain gas stations, you can sometimes pick up, you probably find them online even, like uh, British style yellow or white, you know, ah. custom license plate key rings. Oh, okay. Yeah. Same idea, but yeah, it's I guess it's universal. You get a Gen 1 1, like chitty chitty bang bang. Yes. Ah. <laughs> But, uh, or was it? Is it KAR one thirty? What's the uh, the prisoners? I can't. I think it was KAR one thirty. I'm not I sure. I can't remember. Patrick McGill. Uh, yes, great show. Um, so anyway, uh, Willitzer, Willitzer got into it as early as 1890s. Oh wow! Okay. And uh, they they were on it very very much. Uh, and prior to that, they were in the uh, the organ game. Yeah, and, and yeah. the su- a surprising thing. I mean, a very popular a very popular American jukebox was known as the Rockola. And I always thought it was like you know rock and roll, so they called it Rockola. But it's actually <laughs> it was actually named after the company's founder, David Cullen Rockola. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, like being named Thomas yes, Dolby. You, you can get one now. Oh, there's the, a large one that like a, a giant size one is nine thousand pounds here from ah. HomeLeisure.com. Wow. And the company that makes them is Adapt. And you wow. get smaller ones. Like let's, let's let's see how tall these are. Let's have a look. Ah, uh, this plays MP3s, so the same size. That's five hundred pounds, but it's not quite as pretty. It looks a bit kind of plasticky and kitsch. It's not very. Actually, do you know what, Jim? A mile from my house. It's been there since I was a kid, so they must be doing business and never went out of it. There is uh, a jukebox store. Really? Sells... Yeah, jukeboxes. I'll I will try and you know wow. what? I'll, I'll go there tomorrow and try and take a picture. But it also does those kind of like stained glass. Oh uh, right, lamps yeah. That you have over like restaurant booths, like a TGI yes, like, Friday style. Like, yeah, Tiffany, Tiffany lamps. I think. Yeah, pretty, yes. I'm not sure if it's like antique or they just like whenever a restaurant shuts down, they get all like the uh, the. They just pick up the it's lighting like, fixtures. It's not called the clutter, is it? At TGI Fridays, it's called the something. It's stuff. The, the things they nail to the walls in the restaurants and things. Yeah, all that. All the ephemera. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, uh, the flotsam uh, and jetsam. I would like uh, one thing. I grew up with being a, a child of a child of the '60s. And heavy into diner culture of New Jersey, uh, there the the type of jukebox I grew up with was in diners. There was a thing called the Seaberg Wallomatic, and this was at in any booth, 
at a at a typical American diner, you'd sit on this very polished piece of formica, and at the, at the end of the booth was a, a Seberg Wollomatic, which had a flip uh, uh, menu of different songs you could play. There were forty five somewhere buried in the back of the diner, yeah. and from from this you could type in a letter and a number, and it would play you know B seventeen or mm. Q three or whatever, and these were everywhere. They were ubiquitous, and uh, I've always wanted one for my kitchen that. Yeah, my 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 dream someday when once I uh, once my Tesla stock goes to uh, ten thousand, I I'll, <laughs> I will get a Seberg Wallomatic system for my kitchen that I can just flip through and. Am and I play. thinking Wallomatic as in I've seen in lots of movies, Rain Man in particular, when he's naming all the songs he's memorized just by looking at the little flippy thing that's actually on the back of the table. That's the, the one. Is that, that it? Is yeah, exactly okay. it. The Wallomatic, yes. And uh, it's just it's just such a part of my my growing up that I, yeah. I can't that when I think of a jukebox I think of the Wallomatic sitting in a diner. Now uh, for 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 the morons in the audience, basically me, what is that Wallomatic connected to for each booth, and how does it take precedent? Is it like first come first served during the queue? She's like, hey, they're not playing it, my song. But it's just like there might be two tables ahead of you, it, and where's yeah. it playing from? Is there a central jukebox you can walk up to in the building and play stuff as well, or is it just there, part of the sound system? It's it's all it's all a network in through the ceiling, and there are actually two there are speakers in the sides of your uh, of your of your booth in yes. in that wallomatic. There's there's speakers, and you can adjust the volume with a, with another button on on the side i believe but it would it, it plays in the order like you're just adding to a queue you're just throwing you know here's my here's my vote for what's going to play next and if there's right. four ahead of you it'll you know it'll be in the queue so it's kind of like calling in at a radio station <laughs> could you play my favorite song um, so i've just got out of actually taken it having to take a picture of this uh store which is near my house listeners if you go to jukeboxshop.co.uk that's jukeboxshop.co.uk .co.uk you can find it and they sell like basically classic ones as well from the 50s and things so the things I've just mentioned Jim look like refurbs or like kind of like replicas essentially but uh, the jukebox shop does the real deal from back wow. in the day but I'll send you a link to that now Jim and we'll put it in the uh, the notes for the Facebook group so uh, yes if oh. you're listening as we speak click out of this app it'll still play and go to jukeboxshop.co.uk and you can see the store I was talking about Ah, I am I'm looking at it right now and it is an I want I want all these okay. This is, <laughs> I am so glad I'm not rich because this <laughs> these would all be in my den and shipped one back when you worked here back yeah. in the day. <laughs> oh my gosh, look at the oh, god gorgeous, you know, the forty five that's I mean the beauty of it all is watching it's like watching the uh the bowling ball return at a bowling alley. Just yeah. watching the, the forty five come out and turn right side up. Well you can yeah. see that at the opening of Happy Days, but yeah, just watching the, the record come down and then the arm swing out. Ah, oh, gorgeous. Gorgeous bit of robotic robotery. Yeah. They've got restored, unrestored, and they've got a reference gallery. So yeah, if you go on that website, you can see all the things we're talking about. And they are quite beautiful, like the original, original ones, Jim. They're like, oh well, it'd be a lovely uh, well, feature if your house was big enough, wouldn't it? E even even as we speak, for when people are listening to minute thirty eight, uh, as they're doing now in our future, but in their present, mm -hmm. uh, we'll have this link up at the uh, at our Facebook site, the uh, best min uh, butcher's place, the best minutes uh, hangout on <laughs> Facebook. So definitely worth worth looking at. But wow! Oh, and you live a mile from this. Uh, this would be and terrible again, for me. The, I'm an old man now, uh, but <laughs> this has been here since at least the early '80s or '70s. That's as far back as I can remember it, and it's still going strong even amid this. Uh, well, it's it's. I'm not sure if the store's open, but it must be working online. And uh, yeah, they restore and refurbish old G boxes. But so wow, mm. it's never gone out of business. It's always been there. 
wow, they, they probably sell these things out. Uh, then when the uh, when the people that buy them who are already old, um, you know, pass over the <laughs> great divide of the address. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they make they, they uh, the when the estate when the people sell doing the estate sale come by, they say, "How much do we get for this?" No, they offer it back, and they just keep selling that same jukebox again and again. What is it like, porn uh, stars? That show on Discovery where they just yeah. go and like clean out lockers yeah. and things. Yeah, yeah. Best I can do is fifty pounds. So yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> they're going to sell it for seven thousand. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look awesome. at us laughing at wow. poor people's yeah. plights. Wow. Well, meanwhile, back in 1946, all these, yeah. you know, Butch, Butch doesn't even realize the gold mine that he, well, he's probably making, you know, at least uh, $40 in nickels every month mm. uh, off of that machine. But nobody's even looking at the world. So they're all chatting with each other. Uh, Al tells Millie to come sit down with them. And uh, Butch is, you know, getting them all to sit down. And we get the story of uh, Fred. Fred gets everybody up to speed saying that he can't find his wife and uh, she's working in some nightclub and he's been looking around. So uh, Al... Al is deep in his cups, and he's saying she that probably he knew had... this night out was happening. And didn't want to be sat next to Frederick March all night. <laughs> oh no, not again! Yeah, oh, I'm busy. Uh, yeah, he probably smells like Chesterfields in failure. But it's, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, no, he's he's probably a nice guy. It's, um, but he's he's uh, so so Al is coming up with these uh, military ideas that he's going to deploy the forces, and we've got the navy here. And uh, and then he, he gets into the part where he explain he explains to everybody who doesn't know that uh, Homer's missing his hand. So he said, you know, this is something. It's okay. It doesn't bother him. So we shouldn't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, but which is great. I mean, the way he handled it, I thought nice. You know, if gosh, if people would handle it things that way nowadays, it would be nice. Um, I do have a question. Do you think that Al knows Angus the waiter, or do you think he's just? Uh... Do you think his name is even Angus? Just changes it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mortimer, come here. Yeah. Uh, uh I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's just. Eh. Um, I, I just I, I do want to know about where where he's at. Um, yeah. and of course Butch gets that call that we're gonna find out about tomorrow. But he's uh he's sitting there talking to him, and uh you know, and then Uncle Uncle Butch says that Homer can still only have beer. So yeah, I think he probably knows him tangentially, and also he's got that that bravado of someone who's drunk, like "Hey, how are you?" And yeah. then, like shake your hand <laughs> to you, dislocate your shoulder, Martin Riggs style. Yeah. So uh, little... he's probably been in there a couple of times, but <laughs> he's a little too loud and a little a little too friendly. So. <laughs> Uh, but uh, we get we get a nice little yeah. Uh, my note here is stop talking about poor Homer's hooks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, <laughs> and Fred can't find his wife, but you know what that means. But yeah, it's uh he's uh so they they go through this little montage or not a montage but a general uh, dissolve so that you mm. know that they're even later and even drunker. And uh, Fred decides on saying cheers, cheers. You know, he he gets into this posh British accent, which I. I <laughs> Being in the 8th Air Force, he probably heard it occasionally among his uh, Hello, dear buddies. boy. Oh, one of those yank flyers, are you? Delicious. <laughs> Tell me how. Mm, public school's been good to you. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, it's, 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 I was always fascinated in working in working for British aerospace that mm. you could, it, it, much like Henry Higgins, you could tell where people lived from, you know, within you know, two blocks of each other mm. just by when they started opening their mouth. And, yeah. Uh, getting down the uh, the idea of Cornish versus a uh, Geordie accent and uh, yeah. what the Midlands sound like. I'm. Uh, it took me a while. My wife is always fascinated that I can point somebody out. Oh, that's a Midlands, and you know. It, mm. um, it is funny, isn't it, Jim? Because England's a lot of smaller islands, so you've got more people condensed. You'd imagine there'd be kind of maybe a couple of accents comparative to the size of America, but even then, on that condensed land space that we have here in the UK. 
you, like as you said, within five, ten miles, there's literally something different, something different, something different. It's uh, it's crazy, isn't it? Even like that microcosm, still the same. Probably the same amount of accents that you have in the US, but uh, you're obviously more kind of, you know, drawn out from each other. But uh, the, it's still set further down the fractal. Bang, you've got the same situation. Yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm always I was always amazed that there's there's also this weird dichotomy that the re, the re, I think it's it's the received English that you know that that upper class yeah. sound uh that's often considered okay you're real you know you're to the manor born or whatever but then the other times is that people say well I I know you grew up in uh in Liverpool and you don't have that act and you've you've pulled that you know, you've pulled that on you you're just oh, you're I trying get that. you're going yeah, outside Kane. your class yeah turn your back on your working class roots Ethan <laughs> all right sorry <laughs> I, well, I sometimes get northern or slight Liverpool, slight in between, because I think the Midlands actually was quite thick. But because I lived in London for what seventeen years, wow, it, it had this, I guess, uh, as you said, RP inflection. So now you've returned. Like, what you talk that for? What you talk that for? <laughs> Not <laughs> that anyone around here yeah. sounds like Dick Van Dyke, by the way. No. I apologize. <laughs> Everyone more like talks like that around here that's like a midlands accent but it sounds yeah. slightly of a poor say so daddy you have to go a little bit like that and you sound like john Lennon. yeah yeah you get you get that ringo overtone and it's uh <laughs> yeah it's and you get up like i i know that it like there's this as you get north of liverpool into like cumbria and then into scottish yeah. it's this weird morphing as it slowly turns into that scottish burr but it's it, but if you get to cumbria you're simultaneously You've got uh, Newcastle, haven't you? Which is on almost at the border of Scotland. Yeah, and that talks like that. Like we're all talking over there, and then that yeah. morphs into like Scottish, like that. But it's literally within a few miles, and it's something completely different. It's mental. Yeah, and, and like in in Wales, the Welsh kind of it, it can either go away or come full on, <laughs> and it's like you either wind up with Roddy McDowell or you wind up with <laughs> Richard Burton. You know, it's. It's so it's it's fascinating. It's just and it's all the same language. So, so Roddy McDowell was Welsh. Uh, well, mm. I mean, I, th- I think of how green was my valley. He was oh the yes, Welsh. yeah, but he did he did like he he turned the Welsh knob up to eleven, and it was <laughs> hello, dear uh, boy, yeah. hello, boyo, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I think Anthony Hopkins is Welsh, isn't he? You can still kind yeah. of hear the flavour in his voice as well. It, and Ian Holm, Ian Holm, isn't he Welsh? I believe he's Welsh. I think so, yes. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's just all that. And it's so hard to pin down when you're you're listening to it. It's like, I know that sound, but where's it from? You know, and it, mm. it, it uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. And then, as you said, it goes from like the monotone, the, the monotone, if you're in, if you're in London, everything's like the same, the same tone. Everybody's talking to, you know, <laughs> but then you get up to, you, you get up to like Presswick out that way and yeah. it, all of a sudden it goes to full sing-songy and everywhere you know, and <laughs> it's all over the place so just uh, right, Ian Holmes sorry to interrupt is in uh, hang on I will tell Good Maze in Ilford which is in Essex Roddy oh, McDowell really? yeah he wow. is uh, London huh. in fact I'll tell you exactly where bear with me listeners Hearn Hill so that's in London that's in I think South London near Brixton kind of area oh okay yeah and uh, well, Burton and uh, Hopkins are from the same town, I think, aren't they? Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah. In fact, so I, I think Anthony Hopkins said that the other day on an interview I saw him do. He met Richard Burton, they shook hands, and he asked him for a bit of advice and things. And then uh, he said, My life essentially all just fell into place. I applied to the drama school, I went, went to RADA, and then just began working. And then, you know, I was like Laurence Olivier's, like, uh, you know, actor who loved to work with me and stuff and i was just off we went it was it said my life's been quite blessed but it all began 
at meeting uh, uh, Richard Burton back in back in the in the day because they're from the same hometown. So there we go. I saw. I I remember watching a. Um, uh, I can't. I think it was the Dick Cavett show. Burton and Peter O'Toole and um, Hopkins were on. Very very uh, very young uh, Anthony Hopkins were on together, mm. and. Uh, they they were all in a play together apparently, and they, what they do is they go to the pub and then they go do the play and uh, during they do a matinee and then they go to the pub and then they do a second show, mm. and, uh, and they'd the, all be sourced up. They'd all be, yeah yeah, and <laughs> they come out and wouldn't quite remember their lines and stuff. And uh, uh, there one time the audience was just like laughing at him when he was coming, and this is supposed to be a serious drama of some kind. And uh, 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 Hopkins turned to the turn to the audience he said if you think i'm bad where do you see burton in the next scene and uh, yeah it, it just had good <laughs> it just had good times being smashed uh rec- wrecking the play as you know as they as is their want um yeah it was which, harris wasn't it harris uh i wouldn't put uh what's his name oliver reed in the same i don't think anyway i mean he was a hellraiser but uh, i think yeah. it was uh it was a whole it was, there was a whole like class there <laughs> oh yeah I think um, it was part of the part of your acting training, wasn't it? It's like, yeah, <laughs> you have to sink a bottle of gin before you go on to do Richard the Third or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually discovered recently, Jim, only in the last couple of years, that Dick Cavett, I guess, was even a thing. I guess he's your version of Michael Parkinson who we had here in the seventies, but I'd never really heard of Dick Cavett. I'd heard him mentioned on movies and things. I was like, who's that? But now the old Dick Cavett shows are all put up on the Dick Cavett channel on uh, YouTube. You can actually ah, watch right. m- many of the interviews Jim's just mentioned, or I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he had he had an amazing collection. He'd get people on uh, Igor Vidal, and mm-hmm. and he'd get you know he he get uh, William Buckley, John Lennon, uh, Woody Allen would show up, and it, you know there was just knockout guests. But the the thing was, he he got people that didn't want to be on the Tonight Show because they didn't want to sit there and trade yucks. Yeah, it was more like he wanted to have a serious discussion with yeah. them. Yeah. You know, you have these guys. Yeah, it's a coming. good interview style, isn't it? It's kind of more gentle, and I think he probably gets more out of his uh, subject. Than that preordained, you're going on Jimmy Fallon, and you've got to hit these points. So I heard you went down the, uh, you know, to the so and so. How did that work yeah. out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they just have some some gag thing that they'd go through. But it was, uh, and and he started out when Cavett came on. He Cavett came on in the uh, the late '60s, and ABC Network had put him on up against NBC's Tonight Show with right. Johnny Carson own the night, mm. and uh, you know they they first started him out with you know basically having a um, a, a carbon copy of the Tonight Show. They had a band. They had he'd have um, you know he'd have an opening monologue with jokes and gags about the news, and then he'd go into uh, into his conversations. But that faded away rapidly, and it became you know just a talk show where he'd sit down and have a have a nice chat with really amazing people. Mm. Um, one of his most famous uh, one of his most famous shows was he had a a, a fellow who, which it, it never aired. He had a fellow who was a uh, health health guru um you know is that Jack Lane? uh no it was it, it, um i want to say his name was burpee uh, right. he was a uh, he, he basically was you know eat this and you'll you know you'll get rid of heart disease and things and uh then they had another guest come on and uh during while the other guest was on uh this fellow leaned his head back and died oh my god so it can was, you find that on YouTube? No, it's not. He he had everything's been destroyed. He has you know. It's not a. Mm. I mean, it, it would be the American equivalent of Tommy Cooper. Yeah. So well, that's, uh, which, that weirdly, sadly, is on YouTube, which is a bit yeah. grim and dark, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And for American audiences, Tommy Cooper 
was a uh, he, he used to do a, a comedy uh, magician act and he would show up and do things and his whole comedy act was his his uh, tricks would go up, wrong yeah yeah it would go and and he'd just like try to cover it up and then do another thing that just made <laughs> things worse and un- unfortunately for Tommy Cooper, it was it wasn't it some kind of a. Uh, I it was think a, it, it was, was a, a big, royal variety it was performance. A, royal, that's what it, yeah, it was a big big variety show for yeah. charity, and he got out on stage and uh, he was supposed to be like in some kind of a, I think he was supposed to like get out of uh, get out of some kind of escape thing, and he just fell over dead, and the the camera well, stayed at the on first, him. First, he kind of crouches down. He's in a big kind of almost like Fu Manchu gown jacket yeah. thing to the floor. And his body just concertinas down. And then he's yeah. obviously in trouble. But people start laughing for quite some time because, as you said, Jim, pop, the whole point of his act was he'd like not only show you how the trick was done almost, a bit, bit pre the mass magician, but also completely mess it up. But then obviously wow you with an actual trick with jokes and things. So when he actually collapsed, yeah. people thought it was a joke. It's only when he kind of fell back, I think, through the curtain. It was the curtain was over his body. You just see his legs. Yeah. That's when then- they stopped the transmission, wasn't it? Yeah, and, uh, and it, it, it's a rather that was a very highly uh, watched show. I mean, the, mm. the, the variety show is like not, it was I think a big the queen deal. Is that the Royal Variety? Isn't it? it's at the Palladium yeah. where obviously like Sammy Davis and uh, Frank Sinatra and all the big crooners of the that era would perform. It was like the premier theater for variety back in the day. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, gosh, if you're an entertainer, how the last thing you hear in your head is the applause and laughter of your audience. I, I mean, that's, I guess it's a good way to go, not for the yeah. audience, but um, yeah, it's just it's pretty tragic, and you know, it's unfortunate that it's still it's still bouncing around out there. It's very kind of a sad yeah. thing, but uh, but yeah, it's one, probably one of the more famous on-screen deaths. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, but some somewhere this was this was involving uh, Fred saying cheers, lifting a glass with. Uh, well, I was going to say, I couldn't find this lady, but there's a lot, rather fetching lady who walks through the, uh, the, the, the bar door at about 13 seconds. Hmm. So like, she comes in with her date and they go to the bar to get some drinky poos. And I could not for the life of me find her in the IMDb. I mean, I found uh. John Tyrell, who played Angus. Yes. Uh, and, well, I can hand this over to you, hopefully. But uh, my research said he found a bunch of, uh, was, did a bunch of uh, Three Stooges movies. Yeah, yeah, he, he was a, a ton of credits he, per year. Again, one of those great, you know, I, I, he was he was a studio actor and mm-hmm. he was signed up with, uh, well, if he was with the Three Stooges, he was signed up with Columbia and he's mm. probably on loan to the Goldwyn Studios here. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, you know, steady work. The guy knew what to do, and I'm sure those extras all in the background there, they all worked for uh, for Goldwyn, and they probably had. They pro- they probably had regular jobs that they'd show up Monday through Friday and be you know you're going to be in this crowd scene we're at a boxing match and you you're one of the crowds yelling at the you know yelling at the guy you're in a That's you so know funny. they're they're filming they're, at the same time this is being filmed uh, on the other side of town at Warner they were filming uh, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty and a lot ah, of people yes Danny a K. lot of people a lot of people that were in this movie including Virginia Mayo. <laughs> Just went, we're out, in the, went to the next studio and filmed another movie. <laughs> yeah, they were over there. You know, it's like okay, we're going to do this in the morning. And in the afternoon, we got set up shots with this, and uh, you know, now you're now you're going to be uh, one of King Arthur's court, or you're going to be you know uh, flying in a balloon, or you know, all the uh, all the different things that were that were in that movie. So I wonder if they all had to audition for this stuff because it might be, would be nice going. Oh, by the way, Monday you're playing a court jester. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no prep. Just show up. I was a bartender yeah. on Friday. Yeah, put that put the <laughs> thing with the bells on your head. Get on with it. Get in there. <laughs> What are you about a size forty four? Okay, here. You're, okay, you're gonna this be the boxer's fit. trainer. Suck it in. Get yeah. on with it. <laughs> yeah, it says Tyrell started in vaudeville at sixteen, 
and he became part of the team Tyrell and Mac, and this led to him and many actors become uh, getting, I guess, coming to Hollywood and becoming part of these like Three Stooges comedies. But he was a salaried contract player of uh, the Columbia Stock Company, in the court, and he was called to play on many incidental roles in practically everything the studio produced. And that's why, if you go to his IMDb, uh, he's got like twenty credits a year. So as Jim said. Every Monday, if like this is your job, yeah, John, get on with it. Yeah, you're put on this wig. Put on, yeah, yeah you're, you get the spacesuit on. You're in drag right? on Monday. What? Yeah, <laughs> we need a hula dancer now. Come on. But no, it's so, very nice. I think, uh, as you said, nice work if you can get it, as the old saying or song goes. But yeah, uh, yeah, he was like busy constantly. Like he must have met, hopefully made a mint at least. I, I hope, but. Uh, yeah, and, well, and you as a as a frequent uh, auditioner, you know that you know if you don't have to audition, if you're if you're part of the studio, oh, and they send over yes. five guys, you know, yeah, gosh, I've, I've it, had, I think four occasions in my time when they've just handed you a role. In fact, yeah, four, I think. You go, oh, that's nice. Then you have to kind of make it work. And go, oh Christ, how do I do this? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the audition process is a is a pain in the rump because then it's obviously not. You do one tape, and then it, the person that saw it, the cast director likes you, then the director likes you, but then there's, you know, a series of uh, almost like on a ship, bulkheads on the ship. You have to get through to the next section, the next section, and like a, a, a myriad of people in a committee almost approve you as you go. So it's like, it's not just two people. Sometimes it is, and that's nice, but usually it's like the people who are, you know, the money people, the producers, all this other stuff. So. Yeah, and it must have been easier uh, before, just for the production side. It's like, oh, well, we have yeah. we have these people ready to go. Here yeah. you go. Just you oh, know, yeah. you're the you know, so they, they, they just run them out. They would have saved save thousands, I think, to hire an audition room. Maybe it's what six hundred, seven hundred dollars a day. The employing the cast and director to kind of source these actors, bring them in. I think that's what's happening now. This discussion with my friend, who's actually in that show on Stars Network. If you've seen it, everyone Pennyworth, very good, about Alfred Pennyworth. He said, now, the one good thing about this lockdown for actors is you can now do your tapes at home. You haven't got to travel into town, into London. You can make it as good as you can. As long as you learn your lines and stuff, you can tailor it as wonderfully as you can and then send it in. So it's giving actors, he thinks, the best chance, perhaps, than, uh, you know, being a studio player. As you said, Jim, back in the day, you can now give yourself the best chance and presentation. Pro well, providing you're technically minded, you can edit and... You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you send them your best take too. That's the best yes. part of it is that you can you don't have to say. I Here. always hand that over to someone else. So because I can't be well, I don't think anyone can be objective about yourself. So I think when this tape is done, Jim, I might send it to you as well before I send it off. So watch <laughs> okay. this space. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, um, we we get to the end of the minute. And we're we're yep. going to get into uh, Butch playing uh, playing the piano. But let's let's save that for tomorrow. There's a lot. Yes. There's so much I want to talk about with uh, Mr. Mr. Carmichael here, and uh, so we'll just we'll just leave him uh, as he's laying down a C chord. Uh, but okay. Well. Uh. Anyway, that's, that's where we're at tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Well. Wow. I was well. Say, let's, sorry. Let's Jim, talk what were you going to say? Oh, I was I was going to say we talk about uh, this show here a lot, but uh, let's talk about a little bit about where where your shows are because people can listen to hours and hours oh, and hours of your nice stuff pass. on youtube i know <laughs> uh you can find me if you don't remember me from anything viewers hopefully you do i did the uh, two minute terminator podcast where we covered not one terminator film but five of them mm -hmm. over a, i think a three or four year period uh it was great fun uh the the language is a bit cheeky from time to time so prepare yourself but uh, that uh, show is now ensconced on youtube uh, so if you like me talking, there's more of me talking on that show. 
Uh, Jim, of course, where can you be found, etc. Before I go into my uh, sign off, I'm all I'm all over the place. I'm just uh, <laughs> the easiest easiest way to find me is to go to my big site, jimokane.com, J-I-M-O-K-A-N-E.com, and uh, I have just about everything I've done somewhere on there. You can click away and lose yourself in the in studying all about me. <laughs> Jim is basically <laughs> to podcasting the Area 51 warehouse from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Every crate has a show in it, and this goes back, I think, to the late nineties. Is that right, Jim? Uh, yes, I started TV in 1996. Yeah. It's coming up on its twenty-fifth anniversary in August. So, oh uh, my god! And you've had yeah, some I like know. very famous, world-class, world-famous people on that show, haven't it's you? Been, yeah, Dan Aykroyd's been there, and uh, Christopher Titus, Stacy Keach. I mean, I, we 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 go through a, a litany, and and the, the scary thing is, people have grown up since I, um, when. <laughs> <laughs> when I started the show, Dan Aykroyd was what, 15 when he interviewed him. By the way, yeah, yeah, it, uh, yeah. He, <laughs> it was pre-second. He, he was he was thin. He was thin. Um, Rachel Evan Wood was uh, was yep. on one of the shows that I did, and I she was she's in Perfume, isn't she? That's why I remember her from that she, uh, movie. She uh, Evan Rachel Wood. Yes. That's right. Oh, sorry, from Westworld. West. Yes, Westworld. Married Jamie Rachel, Bell briefly. Me. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, Westworld, Boom. and uh, she uh, she was uh, 10 years old. <laughs> I feel I feel very very old. She was a ten year old on a, on a show called Once 40, and Again. I think was it Thursday? One of them. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> she's coming at it out of hard and fast. And um, Brie Larson was on a was on a Bob Saget show, and she was like eleven or ten. Now Did she's she won an one... Oscar when she was that age, by the way. Uh, something Larson. like that. Yeah, I think she won an Oscar for something when she was very young, and then she had a brief musical career. And now I she's was in not... movies again. She said, like, I was yeah. I was not aware of her of her I think Oscar. She's wow. won an Oscar. Start yeah, googling, um, listeners. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, but anyway, these are see if you if you show up and and you wind up in my uh, in, in TV dads, eventually you'll be a, a big star. So that's see. always a good a good thing. Come on, um, come on, universe, come on, <laughs> grant me these wishes. So as you can hear, listeners, we're in such esteemed company, which I certainly don't deserve to be in. Do you? I don't know. But uh, you can listen to us every day, and uh, you can find this podcast along with many others. And we'll get to those shortly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the main site for this show. Uh, thebestminutes.com. By the way, the er uh, is not part of the title. And also, let me just tell you this. If you like this show, well done. If you like some of the other shows me or Jim have done, well done, well done. But if there's a film out there that you love and you think, hey, there must be a show out there, guess what? There probably is. Out there, there are over 180 uh, Movies by Minute shows and you can go to moviesbyminutes.com and uh, you can basically listen to, hopefully, your favourite favorite film podcast uh from the largest hollywood blockbusters the most obscure john landis movie which is what i'm on one of them uh, into the night my favorite movie uh you can find us all there of course so please join me and jim uh tomorrow for another exciting show i really learned a lot of stuff today jim i think this is my favorite one of the entire 10 we went all over the place yes but we learned about jukeboxes at the very least and yes. uh, the unsung hero of the vaudevillian age uh, John Tyrell. So, listeners, thank you. We love you. We'll see you tomorrow. Get ready. <laughs> and we'll uh, regale you with some facts and figures and uh, wonderful triviata of not only this film, but, uh, you know, the rest of old Hollywood. So, we'll see you then, and good night. Ta ta. Hey, Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks.
Come on, sailor. 